Hey, Digital Wildcatters, welcome back to another edition of BDE. We're actually starting off a little somber, I think, on the show, because we're recording this Monday, 9-11, and we've been sitting around the last few minutes talking about that day, where we were, and and the like. And my take on that day is, and this was kind of weird, where I was, is my mother-in-law called and said, are you watching the TV? And I was kind of annoyed by her. No, I'm not. I'm trying to get to work. And eventually she's like, just turn on the TV. Saw what was going on. And this is strange, but for some reason, I felt the need to go out and get my car washed. As strange as that sounds, I just needed something normal to do as I was trying to process it. So that was kind of my 9-11 moment of, uh, of that happening. I was on the corner of Congress Avenue and 6th Street. And Leslie, you know, that if y'all remember the icon Leslie, that half-naked man who ran for mayor of Austin, uh, God bless his soul, he's no longer with us, but um, he was down below. I was in an office building. And what happened afterwards, we all sort of were stunned and silenced. There was a bunch of us just watching the TV. My first instinct was to get my children out of school. And so that's exact. I left to go get my kids and I don't know why, but it was <clears throat> just didn't know. Well, I wasn't sure what was happening, but that was my first uh, instinct. But I remember exactly where I was. I saw the TV coverage. I was tying my tie. I remember back in the day when <laughs> I'm already at work. work. He's yeah. tying his tie. I just, Must finished, be nice. I just, I just finished a physical at the Houstonian oh, damn. and was in the locker room and they had two or three TVs on the wall and it was, you know, it was just this slow, surreal realization. And then my phone's ringing and it's my assistant telling me not to come downtown. And so Houston was a target. Yeah. yeah. And it was, we all thought, no, yeah, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, your, your mind. And I'm, I'm 40 miles from my house, which is, you know, back up the Hardy toll road. And I remember driving, I'd met a friend and a colleague at Starbucks there on post Oak, just, kind of a, you know, what the hell's going on and then took off and, and went home. And I just remember driving on a crystal clear day up the Hardy toll road where, you know, the, the inbound flight patterns are coming in pretty frequently and low across the Hardy toll road. And there wasn't any, mm. there, or there weren't any, there weren't any inbound aircraft. There were no aircraft to be found. And it was a day you could see them all. Right. So that was, that was just really the kind of the beginning of, of a very long day of trying to process all this. Yeah. I think the, the other kind of, and I mean, it affected all of us very profoundly and we could tell a million stories, but just aside from getting my car washed about three months later, I was in New York, we were fundraising and it had become a memorial. Basically people were putting notes of, mm -hmm. you know, have you seen this person? which was heartbreaking. But I remember one note I wrote that a, a little girl had written in crayon on a sheet of paper that said, Dear Daddy, I just wanted to say goodbye. I know you were so brave that day. And mm -hmm. I mean, I still get goosebumps and, and well up with tears when I think about reading that, that card. I, I had changed my situation and was commuting to New York and I actually had an apartment on the north end of Battery Park, which was just a mere Close. few blocks. Yeah. And I was there kind of fall 
December was uh, through through December was going back and forth, and then really started um, spending a lot of time there. Of course, that whole operation went on for quite a while. And the thing that I always remember was walking back to my apartment at night is all the lights, but then the smells. And then you'd walk up and down some of the streets that weren't barricaded and look in these businesses that, you know, still had where the ash and the dust had gotten under, under the doors and it just coated everything in these, in these stores and they had not been touched. And so it was just a real, um, you know, it just kind of, kind of gets seared into you at that, at that point. And it, it seems like a long time ago, but when, when this day comes around, it, it's, um, uh, it come it comes back to the forefront for, I, I know all of us, as we were talking about it earlier. I yeah. think the major impact is, and we're, we discussed this earlier. We're not talking about who, what, when, why, but just what's amazing about this day is seeing how the American people came together. Nothing rallied us more than, than, than something like this. It was amazing to see not only what happened in New York, but just across the country, how everyone sort of, we became, we're Americans again. And, and, you know, think about where we are today. We couldn't be more not American. If you kind of look around every nook and cranny, everyone's claiming to be somebody different, but that was probably the day where we were the most aligned as a nation, don't you think? The people. Well, I, I think literally every single American, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Anarchist, whoever, was rooting with all their heart and soul for George Bush to throw a strike when he walked out at Yankee Stadium. And, and no, seriously, yeah. everybody wanted him to throw a strike and he nailed the strike. Not so. only throw a strike, but throw it from 60 feet, six inches. Yeah. He, went, remember, to the, he, he went to the regular mound. He right. went to yeah. the mound. Greg yeah. Swindell, who's a who, you know, great University of Texas pitcher. Thank you, Greg, if you're listening. He was there in the stadium. He's like, I remember that pitch. It was such a good pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, every single American cheered it, even if they didn't vote. So I think you're right about that. And and I think the other big lesson stating kind of obvious stuff is just tomorrow's not guaranteed, everybody. So right. nobody had that on the bingo card that morning. The, so. All right, Mark, kick us off. The G20 missing in action. Yeah, the FT had a, a piece, uh, I think it was out a day ago, about the disappointment <clears throat> and the criticism coming from various climate groups that the larger G20 did not take the G7 proclamations or statement a step further. Uh, yes, they did reiterate uh, a commitment to tripling renewables capacity by 2030, but there was really no timeline set. And this is, this is the real crux issue for the climate activists, the timeline to end fossil fuel emissions without uh, without corresponding capture. And so this is going to roll into to COP28. There was a, mm-hmm. a piece out over the weekend as well. Now that the industry and oil and gas is leading this, is starting to show viability and commitment to things like CCS, the, the goalpost or the rules shift a little bit with 
it's not about capturing the emissions. It's literally about ending the burning of fossil, of fossil fuels. fuels. And so, you know, more of the same. I think you've got a larger group, mm. obviously, in the G20 than you do in the G7. And there's quite a bit of, wait a minute, you know, what are we signing up for relative to our own economic situation and, and certainly our political stability? I think I think it's just a very unwieldy group to, you know, really try to put any kind of teeth into a timeline of that nature uh, when it's easy just to kind of kick the can down the road. Especially as you, as you, I mean, let's give an example of Germany, you know, agreeing to decommission a wind farm and, and go back to mining coal. I mean, so the narrative is changing. You've got sort of on one side, you've got oil and gas companies saying, wait, we can actually be capture all this. We can burn the fossil fuels and we can capture the emissions. You've got enough, the other side saying, we don't want you to burn them at all. Forget that it's actually okay because you can capture all of it. We just don't want you to do it. So there's a fight that's been brewing, but it almost seems like oil and gas is starting to win this fight. What do you think? So here's my take on this, and I'll give a little example. My uh, uncle Terry practiced law for you know a gazillion years. Mm -hmm. He started off, his first job was working for Leonard Scarcella. And if you don't know who Leonard was, he was mayor for 54 years of Stafford, Texas, you know, just down the road from here. And anyway, <clears throat> Leonard one day is in court and he's defending a lady that got a speeding ticket. And it's a speeding ticket. It's a $20 yeah. fine. And Leonard's calling witnesses and expert witnesses. After about an hour and a half, the judge just said, hold on, we're going into recess. Scarcella, get in my office. <laughs> and the judge is going, Leonard, what in the hell are you doing? This is a parking or a speeding ticket. Just pay the ticket. What are you doing? He goes, well, well, your honor. That's my wife that I'm defending from the speeding ticket. And she told me three days ago that she had to teach school to put me through law school. And if I couldn't get her out of this ticket, it was all for naught. <laughs> and the judge just went, Scarcella, why didn't you tell me that? And tears up the ticket right there. I want to do this with climate protesters. Just tell me what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, this is just mind blowing that it's like, we, you know, we don't want to burn hydrocarbons anymore. Okay, great. Now we don't want to produce them anymore. Well, hold on, time mm -hmm. out. You know, we don't want to put carbon in the air. Just tell me what the hell we're doing because it's tiring. And the sad thing is, every time energy prices are higher, people do die. So just tell me this the people true. that are dying today are worth it. Climate. Can we call that the Scarcella rule? The Scarcella rule. I like it. You just got to tell us what the hell is <clears throat> going on. So anyway. Brilliant. I get, we got nothing more. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's so much we can we can talk about Al Gore and his yeah. comments. We can also talk about the water. The recent go, article go, about go, water. Go, go, go to Al Gore on this because I think this just rolls right into the Scarcella look, principle. I mean, We're going to call it the principle. The, the principle. Go, Al Gore, look, I mean, he became a billionaire over a PowerPoint, which is a pretty damn good ROI for, you know, who who knows how long he worked on it. But he tweeted, a new UN report has confirmed that we're not on track to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement. This latest report card shows that we are failing, not because we don't know the answers, but because we aren't doing our homework. 
We need to rapidly phase out fossil fuels, dramatically accelerate climate finance, protect nature, deploy renewable energy, both rapidly and equitably. Now is the moment, blah, blah, blah. So uh, a guy following Twitter um, uh, responded to Al Gore, and this is his comment, which I think sums it up for me. At the Copenhagen Climate Conference in 2009, Al Gore said there was a 75% chance that the entire North Pole ice cap during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. Never happened. In 2006, global warming documentary, An Inconvenient Truth, Al Gore predicted that the global sea level could rise as much as 20 feet in the near future. Never happened. In 2007, Gore warned that stronger storms would continue to threaten entire cities. However, there's been a slight downward trend over the last 30 years of the accumulated cyclone energy index a tool used to measure tropical storm activity around the world. In 2007 speech delivered in Norway, Gore claimed that the Earth's average temperature would increase by many degrees if the amount of carbon in the atmosphere doubled. Never happened. So um, I think we just need to see and take it with a grain of salt is that there's going to be people always claiming, and he's he's been enriched by this. So you, know, you always have to look at people's pocketbook to figure out what their intentions are. But it is a little bit interesting that we're not even close to the climate, the Paris agreements, and we're starting to see countries and, and even companies backing off. I don't know. That's my take. Yeah. And, and those that are pushing back or devising real solutions, like we alluded to with CCS and the oil and gas industry, which is really making great strides and and taking the lead in a lot of areas isn't really what this is about, right? It's, it reminds me of a board meeting at a former employer. There was a litigator who was on the board and one of more Houston's more famous names from the distant past. And we were young analysts really just worrying about the ability to, to solve problems for our clients. And he looked across the table and said, Hell, what do you mean solve problems? We want chaos and uncertainty and volatility. How do you think we get paid, boy? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, you're exactly right. Uh, just the, 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 the three-word adage that explains most things is follow the money. And Absolutely. so this is a, in, in, in some more cynical segments, is a grift of epic proportions. And, you know, how does a guy like Al Gore, who spent most of his life in public service, suddenly become a billionaire with a literal 0. 0.000 batting average. Yeah. I mean, I have a quick comment on that, but I'm going to keep keep uh, keep it to myself. However, speaking of, since this is right in line, not only is that sort of lacking context, but um, – you sent an article that was pretty funny about the energy secretary taking an EV trip. <laughs> oh, by the way, I do have to name drop backstage. You two hung out with Al Gore one day. <laughs> of course you did. I got a picture. Did so, he, did he want a photo with you or the other way around? I am standing in the front of the photo and he's kind of uh, in the back. Maybe I'll uh, send it to, uh, to Jacob <clears throat> and get him to uh, pop it up. He, he, he was pretty stiff. I'll just say that. I was kind of expecting... What's he doing at U2 concert in the first place? I don't know, but uh, I was kind of thinking I'd get a good old... Policing policing lyrics for Tipper? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's really funny. That's really funny. 
Um, anyway, I'll find the uh, I'll find the photo and uh, and get it to Jacob. Me pop it up on the screen. Here. Let's go. But uh, anyway, I didn't mean to cut off the uh, the theatrics around our energy secretary. Mark, it, it was described as a scene out of the sitcom Veep, but the energy <laughs> secretary had a kind of show and tell EV caravan throughout the southeast to promote to to promote the the IRA, right? Correct, and and just the viability of traveling long over the road distances in various types of vehicles. I believe they had a um, high-end Cadillac EV, which is called, I believe, the Lyric with a Q. Of course, they had uh, mm. Colin's favorite F-150 Lightning, and then nice. they had a, a Chevy Bolt as well. And so the scene that was described as being really um, the the kind of the nexus of the fiasco was an attempt to stop at a four-point charging station in Groveton, which is a suburb of Augusta. I didn't know Augusta had suburbs. I thought Augusta. Augusta, Georgia? Yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I mean, Augusta <laughs> is known as a suburb of, a faraway suburb of Atlanta. So right. So anyway, um, two of the fast chargers were broken. Common. One of the advanced team parked an ICE vehicle in a charging space which, by the way, according to Georgia law or under Georgia law, is not illegal. And so you've got someone holding the spot for the secretary's EV in advance of her arrival. Meanwhile, you have a family in the swel on a sweltering day with a very cranky and upset baby. And um, they need to charge. They need to charge to get on their way and also run their air conditioner. And they got so upset they called police. <laughs> Because some damn ice car is sitting in, in my charging spot. So yeah. they dispersed other vehicles, and I don't know if these were vehicles that were there waiting in line to charge or were part of the entourage, to other points um, distant to slower chargers so they could accommodate the secretary's vehicle and this family's vehicle. You can't make this up. I mean – yeah, none of none of the three of us could, and we're pretty smart and creative. But I, I yeah. saw one comment. What about dry runs? Don't don't all of these uh, political show and tell uh, grand shows? Don't they all have dress rehearsals? That's to to show up to a, a defined charging point and have two of the four available chargers not working, and or not having cordoned off that charging station to make sure that they were not in conflict with the rank and file who were out there trying to actually get somewhere and do something in their EVs, whether it's transport a family home or go to work, right? We, we've got a big video or photo op and kind of all hell breaks loose because, well, the facility wasn't at full capacity. Two of the chargers were broken and you you probably had a bit more of a demand because of just the heat that day. Yeah. It's so there's my Al Gore picture. Y'all can look at it. This, so this is kind of interesting because Mark and I are both music guys, right? So we've got friends in the music business. And one of my dearest friends is a tour manager guy. And he swears that he could revolutionize politics if they would just let him schedule this stuff. 
you know? Oh, sure. I mean, he said the waste and inefficiency of political campaigning, if they actually applied the rigor and the discipline of music touring, that it would be so much more efficient. You could get so many more stops in. You could do things so much better. There wouldn't be shit show mess like this. Or, or in your example, I think of coming home from Europe, having Chick-fil-A manage the the logistics outside of Terminal E or yeah, whatever, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, tour tour managers are are masters. At- I mean, it's 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 almost like the secretary is just completely blind. But there is a huge charging infrastructure problem in the U.S. We've talked about it. I've talked about my own range anxiety. You couldn't make it up. You couldn't get a worse timing with a family calling the police. <laughs> On I the mean, secretary. <laughs> but it, it's almost like so apropos for with a baby. trying to push a narrative that's where we're just not ready. I mean, Tesla's figured out the narrative. They figured out a long time ago. The rest of ICE, I mean, the rest of EVs that don't have a charging infrastructure throughout the United States. It's just hilarious. I mean, I'm just laughing because it's it's such a great, it's just so we're, great for us sarcastic. When people. we go to you, we're just we're always going to say former EV owner. For, Kirk, I'm a former Kirk EV Coburn. owner. Oh, by the way, I Both did. Of us, I used you to know, I worked in Nashville for for, and we owned a bunch of music labels, and I was. Oh, I didn't know. That. Yes, and I got fired from that job. I didn't get fired. I quit. But my boss came to me after we destroyed a company in 2000. After you know, n- you know. Uh, 1999. Remember the bubble that burst in the yeah, internet? Yeah. Music industry was part of that. Napster, you know how all that oh, works. Yeah. I was part of the internet team where we destroyed a publicly traded company. So my boss pulls me aside for a drink and goes, how do you think things are going? I went, I think this is not working out. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I did uh, I did um, work in the business. So the, uh, well, you know, I don't know how we make this segue, but we'll just go from music business to water. Wow. Well, this is interesting. I did not know. Okay, well, let's first reground ourselves. One GPT chat search consumes how many watts? Five watts. Five. And one Google search is what? One, one. watt. Well, a new... Hold uh, on, what? And real quick, and just to train the language to run that AI search is anywhere from 100 to 1,000 watts. So you you had to build it before you could even do the five watt. Well, so a new research study published by the University of California finds that just five GPT queries consume as much as 16 ounces of water. So this is a major problem. Water consumption is a major issue. Who knew? 16.9. So, Half go. a liter. So... Um, the research actually looked at, and the, the research is um, the water usage by Microsoft, OpenAI, Google are closely held secrets. Like they don't want people to know how bad this is. But this research looked at Microsoft at one of their low, low um, energy cons- consu- consumption um, facilities, and they found that water. Consumption surged by 34% from 2021 to 2022, which is nearly 1.7 billion gallons of water. What do they need all this water for? They need water to cool the data centers. And even one state or one um, uh, area, Des Moines, Iowa, which had a lot of data centers, is worried that the data centers are actually going to take away from residential use of water. So it's actually conflicting. They're, 
the amount of water that they're consuming from the rivers is actually threatening the water supply for residents. And what what had where does the I'm discharge? Gonna, yeah, I'm gonna ask the the dumb question: is the is the heating or the cooling process cause cause it to evaporate? But it wouldn't leave the tubes, would it? I mean, you're asking a really good question that I have no idea. I mean, I'm gonna have to dig in. There I'm just go. reading high level research. Here, we gave right? you homework. You do this get you did give me homework. I do know that there are technologies, but we'll find out. So. Yeah. So I guess the real question is how much or at all is it recyclable? Is the you know, we talk we've talked in the industry past about how much water we can recycle in stimulation operations, but if they're consuming water to cool one time and then, you know, what happens to it and it's not usable again, I, I can't I can't imagine what makes it unusable, but But I mean just flat out more. Yeah, why do, why do I need more? Even if it's a closed loop, and you probably need a bunch of water so that it has time to cool somehow, which probably requires more well, energy. Well, also, <laughs> also the compounding on the number of of applications. Yeah, that, or, or yeah, train I mean, models we do know with, is, is we do exponential. Know, right? We do know with power plants, they consume a ton of water. They but they ingest the water and then they throw it back into the water streams after treating. Um, I don't know how much evaporates, but in July 2022, the article goes on uh, to say that Microsoft data centers in Iowa used about 6% of all water in the district. Just the data centers. That's huge. So we'll, let's figure out what actually they use with the water. But, but, but even if it's closed loop, to Mark's point, it's just we're building more of them. We're building more and more data centers every day. Oh, absolutely. And one of my colleagues that when I was at Shell, it's funny, he invested in a technology. I was like, man, I just, none of the, none of the big like Intels of the world, they didn't want to have anything to do with this company, but we invested because the sort of the future of data centers potentially is submersible computers in oil and like in, in, in viscous, but cooling materials so that they can run a lot cooler. Um, because we know that, my buddy, as I said, um, one of the executives at one of the largest data center companies, Renee Anonymous, has said, told us that many of their clients um, cannot afford to run uh, chat GPT or AIs because the chips run too hot. And so there's a huge sort of bottleneck that we have right now with building the data centers, having the energy capacity to build more data centers. And now, um, having enough water to cool them. It's interesting. A, a really good friend of mine, it was actually younger brother Jay's best friend during, uh, during Rice days back in college, is at Intel, and we've been emailing. He listens to BDE, and mm -hmm. Chuck Yates needs a job because his, he's working on data center stuff and a lot of it's about energy efficiency and the issues we're talking about right now so i'm yeah. gonna, hopefully i can get zane to come on the podcast yeah, i'd love to hear be him fun. Zane, be a lot of fun zane might be the smartest guy i've ever met so it'd be fun to have him on now let's go water subset west texas mark yeah and uh, you know in the area of sustainability and and what the industry has been dealing with, particularly since uh, we've gotten into, you know, high intensity fracture stimulation, horizontal drilling in the Permian 12, 13 years ago, you now have, I think, a, a greater realization that not only is it flowback water, but you've got this issue 
greater in the Delaware than in the Midland Basin of how much formation water you're going to produce over the life cycle of the well. And it's, you know, typically not trivial, and it's also typically pretty nasty stuff. And so what what's the right, you know, what's the right method, process, strategy for handling that? And I didn't I didn't read deeply into the details, and I don't know if there's a conference call on the um, JV that was announced this morning between Diamondback and Five Point uh, produced water JV in which uh, Five Point paid Diamondback a $500 million up front. Diamondback retains a 30% equity stake. I think there's opportunity for future kind of cash earn-ins based on performance. And so I think putting a, putting a strategic JV in place around the area of produced water just reminds us again of a real issue that needs to be addressed by the industry and, and has been addressed. It's been off the headline for a while. You know, water is just another battleground in sustainability and environmental um, set of issues that are out there. So I, I think this was an interesting announcement this morning. I'm lo- looking forward to hearing, hearing more about it. And I think, you know, to the chat GPT and the water needs and the management of all that, who knows, maybe maybe the uh, the AI model developers are, you know, open to learning something from how the industry is is handling a, a very significant and very sensitive and serious water issue. Because I know the Bitcoin miners are. We've, we've seen that at our Empower conference of, hey, we got to keep things cool. We got to handle Absolutely. water. And so that's that's a uh, that's a real thing. Um, Robert Norton, Case Van Hoff, guys, come on BDE, come on. Uh, Chuck Yates needs a job. We'd love to have you guys talk about that and find out what you're doing. So before we wrap this up, Chuck, I I want to preempt it, and we're going to roll into our, our our last piece. Okay. But yesterday, I was playing, seeing some of my boys on the golf course. They're Lubbock boys. And what I didn't know is that John Denver's from Lubbock, or he was with the, in a band called the Caravans in 1964. It's like, damn it, another guy from Lubbock. What the hell is happening or happened in Lubbock? So I love the Flatlanders. Yeah, big flat Joe Ely, um, Butch Hancock, which my boy is third cousins with Butch. Nice. And then um, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Dale Gilmore. But Pat Green, I didn't realize Lubbock sort of just continues to crank out Wade Bowen. I mean, they I mean, keep cranking out all these great artists. We haven't said the biggest name yet, Buddy Holly, but it, it was well, understood was, in that. I was waiting to, like, of course, Buddy Holly. Right. But what the hell is growing in Lubbock? I mean, why are all these musicians come out of Lubbock? That's a good. That's a good question. Uh, have you seen Buddy Holly's grave? No, I've I've actually done that because I've I've gotten into the you know I hang out and tell you right a fair amount and I've gotten to the point now I just drive up there because I got just a really, to say hi, just to hang you know. But uh, I've got a really good friend in Amarillo, so stopping and going to the Big Texan. I got a really good friend in Santa Fe. You know that kind of breaks the trip up. But you run right through Lubbock. And uh, I've stopped and seen the grave. They've kind of got markers all throughout Buddy Holly's grave this way. Love kinda. it. And then, you know, of course, Natalie Maines, which was we were talking before the show. Right. Another Lubbock. Yeah, exactly. Musician. So curveball, I'm going to throw at you guys on the, on the same deal because we're getting to the same place. Top five country music songs of all time. Uh I'll go first just to give y'all a chance to think. I, I think number one is He Stopped Loving Her Today. 
than George Jones. That's that's number one. And who wrote that song? Ooh. Sold, I, I sold the lyrics at an auction one time. Did you really? I Holy did. shit. Handwritten. Nice. Say the na- <clears throat> same of the name of it. Bobby Braddock. Right. And uh, um, what's his face? Malcolm Gladwell did just a great podcast on Bobby. That was cool. Keep going. Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground by okay. Willie. Okay, I, I like that. Willie, Willie would have to make it. Um, I'm going to say, and we'll go around a couple more times. I'm going to say... I walk the line, Ring of Fire, Boy Named Sue, Man in Black. Oh, okay. One Johnny throw Cash. Just throw it one all of, in. One of those Johnny Cash <laughs> songs, because you can make a case for each one of them. I have to bring one in that's, by I guess by our vintage and timelines, would be fairly contemporary, but it's a vocalist that's actually on my Mount Rushmore, along with Ray Price, Marty Robbins, and uh, George Jones, and that's uh, Ronnie Dunn and Neon Moon, I think. That is. Oh, there you go. That is. That is. Uh, I mean, I've just learned a new. That side is top. Of you. That is top. That is top ten worthy. There you go. All right. Damn. I mean, speaking of Marty Robbins, I mean El Paso is just a it's classic. Yeah. That was, mean, my Felina, that was my dad's favorite singer. So Felina, I heard a lot of that as a actually kid. one of my Defender. I had a Defender ninety that I bought from Amarillo, the mm. last imported. Soft top Defender ninety before the the um, airbag issue, they stopped importing them. I bought it. Her name was Felina after Marty Robbins' song El Paso. So, do you remember in Breaking Bad that there was an episode named Felina? Was that about when he that- steals the car in New Hampshire, the <laughs> Volvo? There's a cassette tape. He found the keys in the visor after he's trying to hotwire the car. And he takes off driving back to exact his revenge in New Mexico. And the cassette tape that was popped in was uh, Marty Robbins and it was playing El Paso. Nice. And so the whole episode is named Felina. Oh, that's cool. Silver Wings by Merle Haggard. Another. Okay. I, I had Mama Trod. So, Great. Uh, so, so I'm right there. Um, I think country music is not complete unless we talk about the badass women. And so I'm gonna go with three of them right here. Jolene. Oh, I'm yes. gonna go with I'm gonna go with Crazy. Written by Willie Nelson. What was the original title? Don't remember. There's a good story around that one yeah, too. Yeah, the original title was Don't stupid. Know. Stupid. stupid. <laughs> Went in and the executive's like, man, that's just not gonna can, make can, it. Can I tell a little Willie sidebar oh, story? Do. So <clears throat> this is in his most recent autobiography, which I think is titled It's a Long Story. <laughs> and he, he's at uh he's at tootsies i believe and tipping a few back and it's really late at night and his manager calls him and patsy was picking up the song but was having trouble with the meter well no one has a meter like willie so you know kind of make it your own well she she summoned willie to her house at like two o'clock in the morning and he was so either starstruck or nervous he's sitting in the in the driveway in the car in his manager's car and he wouldn't come out. Okay. And she's waiting on him, you know, to have this discussion about the song. And the great Patsy Cline at 2 o'clock in the morning comes out of her house in curlers and a house robe and said, Willie, get your ass in the house. Which is, you know, she's struggling with trying to mimic his meter on the song, which nobody can do. Right. Only Willie can do yeah. this. Only, Only Willie can do is Willie's meter, and we know what happened after that and so that was kind of a breakthrough moment apparently and 
she recorded the, the epic version that she did. I mean, I don't have a song, but don't, I mean, we're talking about famous yeah. country. Yeah. But Selena has to be thrown in here somewhere. There you go. I mean, so, we have to throw Selena. So, so Selena did it. Uh, okay. A little bit of cleanup on this, and then I want to get to to why I brought this up. There's got to be a George Strait song at least discussed. I'll go with The Chair, although a lot of people go. Yeah, I was X's, almost going to say that. X's Live in Texas. My favorite, which was actually written, one of the few that was written by Irv Woolsey, who is his career-long manager. I, I say Irv likes to, you know, he, he invented partying for a living. Um. <clears throat> is I can still make Cheyenne. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that. The, um, I'll throw a couple out there. Hank Williams. So I'm so lonesome. I could cry. You're cheating heart lost highway. I mean, we, you can pick any Hank Williams song you want. My Willie song was actually Poncho and lefty. I love he, it. Even though he didn't write it, but love that song. Um, and then I was, Running through uh, Jolene, Stand By Your Man, and then I had Coal Miner's Daughter on there along with Crazy. And then I'll go ahead and say this, and this may be too cliche to say, but I actually have this at number two on my list is Friends in Low Places by Garth. The reason I brought these I might actually throw out Crazy or Angry All the Time by Bruce Robeson. Ooh, I like that. Came a number one hit for Faith Hill. Yeah, and, and and didn't sing it with and uh, Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw, yeah, the the husband and wife sang it. Nice tie on that because the reason I brought all this up, and I think the reason you started talking country music is Charlie Robeson passed away. This hearts are heavy, man. Yeah, it really is. And I will say, I want to say two things about him. One, I mean, last year was a crappy year. It just was. I mean, I was kind of in a funk all year. And those of you who have listened to the podcast have heard me talk about it. And do you part, need a hug right now? I don't need one, but I'll get one. I'll Come get on, one. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. We got the camera. <laughs> Love you, man. I'm so glad we didn't bump wieners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... No, so so part of me getting to feel better is I went on a country music tour at the end of uh, December. So I saw I saw Hayden Baker, I saw Roger Krieger, and then on December 30th, mm. I saw Charlie Robeson. <clears throat> and I, when he retired in 2018, I thought I was never going to get to see him again. Mm-hmm. So that was actually uh, really cool. And the second thing I will say is is his song, Loving County, I think is the greatest oil and gas song ever. The field hand kills the rich woman, steals the wedding ring so he can get his girlfriend back from the company man, winds up going to jail. Uh, And I will say this, I think Loving County can be included in the discussion of all the songs we just talked about. I think it's that good. El Cerrito Place has a special place in my heart. I get that. I really love that song. I get that. So... We don't really have, I don't know who to give the finger to on that one. So we're not, we're just giving a, this is a tribute. Yeah, this is a tribute. This is not a finger week. Yeah, not a finger week. But uh, anyway. I will, we'll miss uh, you, Charlie. I'll des- definitely miss definitely. Charlie uh, Robeson. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Colin, again, is suffering from his prostate injury, but we hope to have him back next week. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe, give it to a friend, and we'll catch you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Yeah. 